This episode is brought to you by Mint Apparel. Mint Apparel has what you need if you're looking for a local shop to do screen printing, embroidery, heat press vinyl. They can even take care of your branding and logo design needs. Check them out at mintapparel.com. That's M-E-N-T apparel.com or on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also request a quote by emailing them directly at info at mintapparel.com. Welcome back to Toons Tunes Podcast. I'm your host, Harold. As always, you can follow us on social media. That's Toons Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. So this week, I wanted to do an episode I've been thinking about for a while now. Um, you know, I'm coming up on two years of hosting the show. And I thought it'd be really fun to kind of look back on some of the cool moments that have happened over the course of the show. You know, I've gotten to talk to like a lot of my good friends. I've made friends from the show and I've had the opportunity to talk to like really cool industry people that, you know, I never thought that I would have the opportunity to talk to otherwise. And so, yeah, I just wanted to look back at some of my favorite moments and, you know, I hope you guys enjoy it. So I thought what better way to start off than, you know, the first composer that I really got to talk to. Um, Jim Lang composed for Hey Arnold, um, one of my favorite Nickelodeon shows growing up. And it was kind of surreal getting to talk to him. Like it was just, you know, an email that I sent out of the blue, um, just to like contact me page on his website. Um, you know, just kind of laid out what we talk about on the show, you know, the things that influence us growing up and, you know, what are the things that we in, we're into when we're growing up and how does that affect the adults we become? And so, you know, he's gracious enough to reply, first of all, to like this random guy in Oklahoma, uh, but took the time to talk to me and Mike Allen about, you know, his taste in music, what he was into, you know, his inspiration behind some of the shows. Um, one of my favorite moments from that show was him actually sitting down and playing um, a snippet of Groove Remote, which is one of the heads from from Hey Arnold, one of the more uh, like iconic pieces that he wrote, in my opinion. And so, yeah, here he is talking to me and Mike about that and playing a little snippet of it on the show. Check this out. I want to play for people. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow it because I haven't been I haven't been playing this tune, but I wanted to play the the original head, which is called Confessin', that oh, cool. Groove Remote came from. Oh, because it's uh, okay. Groove Remote has a it has a groove to it, and it's just I kind of bit that little bit of it and, and put that in the cartoon show. But the the whole tune goes like this. Thank you. 
anyway, I'm, I'm messing it up pretty bad, <laughs> Man, but no, that's awesome. That great. <laughs> Man, Jim is genuinely one of the coolest dudes I've ever gotten to talk to um, and was definitely one of the first ones that I had on the show that I was just like, holy shit. Um, the cool thing about that was, I guess there was like a blog, like a Nickelodeon blog, a fan run thing that um, heard the episode, like found the episode somehow. And then um, like all these outlets were picking it up off of this blog uh, talking about in the, over the course of the episode, Jim talks about how he hopes that um, Netflix or some streaming service will pick up Hey Arnold for a new season to kind of finish out the series because he talks about how it kind of got canceled after that Jungle movie because it performed really well with us, um, our generation, the millennials, but for the generation after us, the younger generation, um, it didn't do as well because, you know, they didn't have that nostalgia or that, that emotional tie to the show like we did. And so it was insane because, like, it was on, like, Digital Spy, Pop Sugar, um, a couple other outlets picked it up, and it was just <laughs> insane because, you know, it's like crazy. The power of the internet, man, it was insane. So this next interview definitely came as a perk of recording at Tower Theater. Um, Bowling for Soup was playing a show at Tower, and, you know, I thought it'd be really cool to get to talk to them about um, their cover of A Flock of Seagulls, Iran. You know, I was always a big fan of uh, Toonami, watching it during the week and everything after school and all that. But the Saturday Night Block showed some different stuff. And one of the shows I uh, really enjoyed on that Saturday Night Block was um, Knights of the Zodiac. And um, for whatever reason, they landed on using um, this Bowling for Soup cover of Iran by A Flock of Seagulls. And, uh, you know, it was cool because, like, I think about that time of watching that show when I was growing up. And, you know, I was always a big fan of Bowling for Soup and all that, but thinking, like, man, this is a really neat, like, cover that they were able to use for this intro. So I always love, like, the intro for it. And then, you know, it's just a trip <laughs> to get to talk to this guy, like, all these years later of, like, hey, man, like, how did that kind of come to be? And so it's really interesting. Um, Jarrett is really cool um, and was a really nice guy and uh, took some time before his concert to talk to me about that. And, uh, yeah, check it out. I was a big fan of Knights of the Zodiac growing mm -hmm. up, and um, coincidentally, Bowling for Soup did a cover of A Flock of Seagulls, Iran, mm -hmm. and that song was used as the intro to, to that show, and so I was always like, right. when I saw you guys were coming, I was like, were they like fans of anime? Like, what right. was like the thing there? You know, and and this is a, this is, it's a, it's a super interesting and, and actually a weird way that that went down, because normally I have to approve anything that we do. But I guess because we don't specifically own all of the rights to that song, it went through a different channel. Oh. And I never, I didn't know anything about it. And and I, I started hearing about people would ask me, you know, like, you're on this 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 show and that I watch and I really like it. And I, I would just sort of nod because really back then and even today, really, people would be like, dude, I heard you on this commercial or whatever. And I'm like, that wasn't me. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I just kind of nod my head. Dude, you're doing the new Ikea song and i'm like oh cool you know but i it, it's, i didn't even know that and i'm not <laughs> yeah yeah so it's exactly so it's just like i guess i sort of have a bit of a familiar voice in some circles but um anyway one month um it just showed up on my ascap check and if you know anything about music you're you're the ascap or bmi and they collect your royalties off of usages um with film tv radio streaming all that stuff and so it it 
took me a bit to put it all together that it was even a thing, you know, that, uh, wow, that's insane that we're on that show and I had never seen it. So the peeps at the Cinematropolis are some of my favorite to collaborate with. Um, I was first introduced to Caleb Masters and then kind of got to know like the whole gang over there. And, you know, it had Alexandra Bohannon on a handful of episodes uh, when we talked to composers because she hosts a segment of their podcast, The Cinematic Schematic, called Soundtrack. Um, she does uh, analysis on film scores, things of that nature. And so it was really cool to getting to talk to Guy Moon, who did the score for Fairly Odd Parents and Danny Phantom. But he was the mutual connection that put us in touch with Butch Hartman. And so I'd known that she was a big fan of Danny Phantom. So when we got to talk to Butch, I knew I had to have her on. And she, uh, you know, had some really great insight and great questions about, you know, some of the characters and their arcs and things like that. And so um, I really love this snippet of her talking to Butch about uh, Danny Phantom specifically. So check this out. So one thing I've always really loved about the show is the really unique relationship between Vlad and Danny. Mm. Um, it's one of the most unique and interesting dynamics in the entire show. Um, what was the inspiration between this bond? It's like an antagonistic father-son relationship um, because you have Vlad wanting to step in as this almost proto-father figure because he's trying to place Jack um, because of the, you know, the weird love triangle with his wife. So it's like, how, um, where did that inspiration kind of come from? Because I remember in Ultimate Enemy, he always, uh, there, there's that conversation with Danny in the cave and it's just like a, a really moving moment that I still remember to this day because it is so moving. Hmm. Um, so I just I would love to hear your kind of thoughts on that Vlad Danny relationship. Well, thank you. Uh, that's interesting. That that um, you know uh, I'd love to say it was inspired by something like oh this specific actual thing inspired it, but I must be honest with you, um, it 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 sort of just stemmed out of the fact I needed a villain for Danny, right? I needed a I needed a every yeah. every good guy needs a bad guy. I needed a Lex Luthor for Danny. I needed a you know, um, a venom for Danny. Who's going to be this bad guy? And I thought it'd be really cool if there yeah. was this... Uh, it first started off with, we need another Danny Phantom. We need an evil Danny Phantom out there. But I thought yeah. it'd be dumb if it was just another kid who had Danny's powers. I thought we should make it an adult who's had his powers but had him longer. Like, he's he's had him for a really long time, and he's just better at it than Danny. And it could be a guy who maybe is is bad but maybe there's an element to him that danny really is attracted to like he's a he's a dad figure for danny you know and he's not just like not just a villain but maybe maybe if danny were to go with this guy it might be kind of cool so we started we started with that going though who could be a villain for danny that could be a father figure where would that how would that happen who would that be would it be his own dad no would it be another who'd be the guy maybe it's a friend of his dad's who really loved the mom i mean it, it was sitting in the writer's room kind of coming up with all of this yeah so yeah. um you know, but when you're again, when you're doing a story like Danny Phantom, we really wanted to tell a story because if you watch episode one of Danny Phantom, it doesn't necessarily have to tie to the next episode, but it kind of does. Right. You can watch every episode of Danny yes. Phantom and just and they're all self-contained pretty much. But it does help if you've yes. seen the other ones, because if you watch the whole thing from back to front, it really all kind of is a, is a cool little arc for Danny. And, and all yeah. the other characters. So, yeah, I, I just think though uh, that anything with Dandy Phantom was really inspired by my love of comic books and just all kinds of things I've read over the years, you know. But it all starts with the classic good guy, bad guy. Every good guy has got to have yeah. a bad guy. 
So I'd mentioned Caleb Masters earlier when I was talking about, you know, getting to know that whole group at the Cinematropolis and everything. And so um, he's someone I've uh, really enjoyed getting to know and, and, and always enjoy having him on the show and um, just love his analysis and his take on stuff and how excited he is about things. And so, uh, you know, we had Chris J. Alex on the show. Um, he'd worked on some cool stuff, uh, Thundercats Roar, uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, uh, Steven Universe. So he, he had a pretty cool, like, list of stuff he'd gotten to work on. Um, but this was a really interesting story about um, one of the iconic weapons in the God of War series. And, um, you know, it was kind of it, kind of a perfect fit because I know Caleb's a big fan of video games and everything, too. So um, he had this really cool interaction with uh, Chris uh, came of a question that came from a question he asked him about something unrelated and we got this awesome tidbit about you know this this uh little known fact about god of war so check this out i'm just curious was there anything that differentiated uh, your process on the spider-man game from something like god of war or other video games you've uh, said you've worked on well god of war i got it on the ground floor like I, I i was literally to my knowledge i was the first person on that game um i remember auditioning for it uh years ago and it's back when I had a TV show in Australia called Save Point. Um, but we went through the audition process, and then literally, um, it had to be maybe 2014. It was a long time ago. Like we, and um, and I, and that one is just you. And being in so early in the process, you know, you really get a chance to. Um, we really get a chance to collaborate with mm-hmm. the people who 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 make the game like and when i say yeah. that they, who make choices on the lore you know right so wow. even just Super figuring cool. out how would kratos stand you know like he, oh now he's older and he's a little bit wise he's a dad you know how how would he stand and then just different stuff like may, uh, most people won't know this but um you know the reason why you can recall the axe to my knowledge is um is because it was kind of a, a conversation that we had, like when we first realized that okay, without Kratos, he has an he has an axe, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Well, can you recall it? And then he was like, well, no, um, because we thought it'd be too much like Thor. And I'm like, no, but that's you know that'd be badass. We'll tell you what, yeah. why don't I just throw it, and then I'll just you know I'll I'll make the mo- movement like this, and then that way you just have it. But if you like it, you can put it in. If not, you can just cut off the the animation, you know. Because I think it would be really cool if you could recall that axe. And then that conversation, and then seeing years later, you know, Kratos Holy recalls yeah. the axe. Like, it's That's crazy. Nuts. That's insane. <laughs> so someone that I've really loved to have on um, is Desiree Yearby, um, also known as Des Gatstees. Um, she is hilarious. She cracks me up every time I have her on. Um, I'm planning on having her on uh, more episodes soon, hopefully. So she cracks my shit up. So I love Des. Shout out to Des. Had to include this clip for sure. And also includes another one of my show favorites, uh, Emily Smart. Or formerly known as Smart, now Strickler. Um, Yeah, I don't know necessarily what it is about this clip that always stuck out to me. But it always cracks my shit up. And so uh, it was just one of my favorite moments, and it was like a really organic like interaction that we had in this uh, R&B episode we did. And so, yeah, just I wanted to include that, so check this out. The funny thing about that song, though, the uh, Bring It All to Me, the remix with J.C. Chazé is exactly yeah. what I was talking about. Yeah. The lines that he sings in that song are so funny. He's like... Um, I'm feeling your sexual yeah. love. Are you feeling my Tims, my baggy jeans, my, my thug, thug appeal? appeal. And it's JC saying, the shit no sounds good, but I'm like, I thought you was from like Glendale, Arizona. That nigga ain't got no I mean, thug appeal. Like, you need to calm down, not. sir. 
He don't got no teardrops. It's just funny. This shit sounds good, He ain't though. got no saggy jeans. He don't own a pair of Tim's. JC and Tim's. He should have sold that to Could Justin Timberlake. Could you imagine JC, Shazé, and Tim's? Justin Timberlake thought he was black back then. He should have sold that, I mean, that lyric. The yeah. lyric Justin Timberlake. JC this. could pull off some lugs, maybe. Not, not no lugs. Tim's. Ugh. Damn. What's funny is I just got some lugs for free. <laughs> Dead ass, That's like, on Saturday. I went to a lugs party. <laughs> a lugs party. And I was like, I'm about to get some free shoes because I've seen people. I, I know I've been to sponsored <laughs> parties like that where people get free stuff. So I just hung out. By, them I kept seeing people like pull up with boxes. And I was like, I want some shoes. So That's I just stood around the area where everybody had boxes. I'm like, Somebody's about to give me some shoes. Oh, they did. Oh, shit. Who did lugs? Was that? No, Birdman. Birdman, was it? Yeah. Oh, Ooh. man. Are we done? Are we finished? Throw some on my name. Yeah, I know. Let <laughs> me kiss Lil Wayne on the mouth. Is this for the podcast or is this like FM radio? <laughs> <laughs> so another really cool person that we got to talk to was uh jim venable that was an episode i had um alexandra bohannon back on from cinematropolis um yeah he, he'd done some cool stuff some film stuff uh, i know he did jay and silent bob um really cool cartoons he did powerpuff girls samurai jack um foster's home for imaginary friends um which is what this clip is i, I just thought it was really interesting the way that he talked about um the idea kind of coming together for foster's home and, um, you know, just the, the collaboration with him and Craig McCracken, the creator. And, uh, yeah, just kind of how that all came together and in, inspired him to create the show's theme. So here's that. You've just had these really interesting anecdotes about Fosters. So I just like to hear about your time on Fosters. Absolutely. Um, so <laughs> Fosters was um, a show that, you know, while we were working on Powerpuff, Craig had been playing with the idea of coming up with characters based on, I believe, if I remember right, he had based them on rescue dogs. Like when he would go to the pound, there was always like different kinds of dogs there. Some of them might be missing like an ear or like a piece of an ear or, you know, like they've been out on the streets. They're, they're not perfect. They're, but they're all, they all have personalities and they're all in it together. And so I believe in, you know, if I understood correctly, and I think I did, that that was sort of the impetus for what Foster's was all about. And when Craig came to me about that show, his words to me were psychedelic ragtime. He wanted to yes. have like a 60s psychedelic sound mixed with the upbeat ragtime, like frenetic speed of that. And um, he was even going to buy me a tack piano and like bring it into my studio. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, you don't have to do that. Like, I appreciate it. I would take it, but I wouldn't even use it because everything I did was through the computer yeah. and I wouldn't have been able Effects. to use it anyway. And um, yeah. so we came up with some great samples that got to where he wanted it sonically. And if you want, I can send you some of these demos, too. I don't know if that helps, but I can I can send that over to you guys. Um, That'd be cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did this. Um, my initial take on Foster's was to just take the word psychedelic ragtime and just write a bunch of music all in a row, just like a suite of ideas and themes and um, different vibes, if you will. And when Craig came in, he um, was like, this is great. And he loved it. And like my idea for the main title, he was like, this is great, but it's way too slow. Like, can we make it faster? So it literally like tripled Can we make the it speed. Faster? Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. now in that case, it wasn't a nightmare because it wasn't a picture. So it wasn't going to mess anything up. It was like, yeah, speed it up and see what happens. And, um, and that's what kind of 
gave birth to that sound. And I took kind of a big band approach, and, but instead of using um, horns, I used kazoos and banjos yes. and, and kind of more of that ragtimey kind of sound as opposed to big band, if you will. I think one of the coolest things about having Jim Venable on was, um, I think you hear him mention, he, uh, he was like, oh, I could send you these demos if you want. And um, we're like, sure, but sure as shit, he followed up with us and uh, sent us a, a ton of music that, you know, were kind of like these these themes and almost like like ideas of um, themes for the shows. And not necessarily just like the main themes, but like character themes, things like that. And, um, man, it was really cool. He sent us uh, so much music. We ended up cutting a uh, radio show style episode where we uh, I had Alexandra back on. And, uh, yeah, we, we introduced the clips, kind of commented on them and our reactions and, you know, kind of dissected them uh, in a cool way that was kind of analytical, um, something different than we'd ever really done. Um, but it was just really cool, man. I yeah, I couldn't believe that he'd like just took the time to compile this stuff and send it over and was like, hey, you know, here's uh, ideas I had for like Powerpuff Girls. And you can really pick out things that he had, um, you know, had inspired him and made it into the show. So I think he sent stuff for um, Powerpuff Girls, Foster's Home, and Samurai Jack. And so you can listen to the episode if you want. It's called uh, Radio Venable featuring Alexandra Bohannon. Um, yeah, it was really neat. And so I was uh, really glad that he sent that to us. It was really awesome. So one of the cool things about um, some of the people I've gotten to have on is that uh, they're incredibly talented. <laughs> and uh, one of my good buddies, Mike Anderson, um, was one of my first people that I wanted to talk to when I started the show. And so um, episode eight, I think, is whenever he appears. Um, Y'all give me a break. Like those first 10 episodes are rough. But, uh, man, it was fun, and um, I loved getting to talk to him. I've had him back on several times, uh, most recently for the 90s Bracket Showdown that we did. Um, so if you want to check him out on a recent episode, um, you can check that out. But, yeah, when I first had him on, um, Mike um, had done these illustrations of Pennywise from Stephen King's It when that movie was coming out. And, uh, man, it was really cool to see um, his work blow up. And he's such a humble guy, like, he didn't, like, super brag about it. And so we kind of had to, like, dig it up. And I was like, Jesus, Mike was on front page of the Nerdist today? Like, what the fuck? And so it was really awesome. Um, I And it, I just happened to have him in the studio recording the, the week after um, it appeared in Nerdist. And so, yeah, here's a little insight of him talking about, like, his process of, like, putting those together and, you know, finding out that it was on Nerdist something that you done recently that was getting a sig pretty significant amount of buzz was um you did some it illustrations for like yeah. the classic uh stephen king novel like yeah. movie um but yeah can you kind of talk about like the concept behind you know what, what kind of made you want to do those illustrations and yeah where the inspiration came from so part of the not to go back too far but part of the reason i really got into drawing was I would watch these cartoons when I was younger and I'd have like favorite characters and I would just want to recreate them somehow. And the best way to do that was to draw. So it's like anytime I really like something, I will just kind of need to draw it in a way. And um, that kind of happened with it. Um, we had just watched the original 90s miniseries for the scary movie podcast that I do. 
And in anticipation for the movie, I read the entire uh, Stephen King novel. And so within the course of like two or three months, I'd watched the 90s series, read the entire book, and then saw the new movie. So it's just like I have like it overload in my head right now. And it's like the most therapeutic thing for me to do is just to draw Pennywise. And something that I kind of like to do is see what movies and TV shows might look like as an anime. And since my style is so heavily influenced by anime, um, it's just kind of a natural thing. Even if I'm just drawing it for fun, it's going to look like anime. Um, And so I did one of Pennywise, just kind of a full body of him holding some balloons. And that was actually before I saw the movie, just from the trailer, the teaser trailers that were out. So he doesn't really look like on model or anything. Um, But then after I saw the movie, um, I took one of the scenes that kind of affected me the most uh, and I I recreated that uh, and I kind of put like fake subtitles over it. So it kind of looked like a screenshot from an actual anime. And um, uh, yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, I just I like to see, you know, things recreated as an anime, I guess. And it's it's also just practice for me as well. And uh, it wound up uh, getting picked up by the Nerdist um, last week. And uh, he, the, uh, one of the editors from the Nerdist had found it online and asked if he could write a story about it. And I said, sure. And um, at the time, I had no idea it was the article was just going to be about those pieces. I thought it was going to be like my work was going to be included in like a collective of other fan arts and stuff. But... Um, it was kind of funny because it seemed a little misleading the way the Nerdist represented it. They were like, uh, it gets an anime makeover, and they just posted one of the um, images. And just looking at it, it kind of looked like they were announcing an anime oh, version. Oh, yeah, I didn't even the, think of So that. I think that's why people were going so crazy like, for what? it. Yeah, they're like, oh, my God. It, like, is this going to be on Netflix? What's, what's that happening? That would be the shit. And then they were going. And so um, that may have been a little calculated on their part. But uh, anyway, it it got the pieces a lot of attention. Um, my Instagram and Twitter have just been blowing up for the past two or three days. And uh, it's been awesome. Hey, if you like what you heard from Mike Anderson just now, you should check out some of his other work. Um, he has a couple podcasts, Saturday Morning Ice Cream Podcast. Um he talks about all things nostalgia with his co-host Cole. Um, yeah, things like Nick at Night, um, things you liked growing up, movies, um, TV blocks, you name it. They talk about anything on that show, and it's really fun. Um, if you're more on the horror side, um, they do Scary Movie Ice Cream Podcast. Um, it's more of like a traditional you know, deep dive into horror, the horror genre. Um, one of the episodes I recently listened to was um, the new Twilight Zone. Um, they kind of analyzed the first few episodes of that. And it was really cool. Um, you know, it's just really insightful, fun um, to hear people that are like super into stuff. And so um, love to hear their analysis and stuff like that. So uh, speaking of podcasts, um, I was super stoked to have uh, the Dudes from Boys podcast on my show. Um, they had me on as a guest, uh, I think a year or two years ago now. Um, it's actually the podcast that inspired me to start my podcast. Um, I had a class with, class with Robbie at UCO, um, really cool guy. Um, his co-host Josh uh, works at Speakeasy. He's a really awesome guy too. 
And, uh, yeah, man, they're just two dudes that just talk to people about what inspires them and, you know, things that have affected us growing up. And um, I was really stoked that they were down to be on an episode with me. Um, We really shot the shit about everything. It was a super long episode, but really fun episode. Um, And, uh, yeah, we talked about, you know, everything from anime to music. Uh, This snippet's really funny because we kind of grew up in, like, the traditional, like, Christian um back with like a traditional christian background and um it was interesting to hear their take on like christian music um and you know kind of like how it interacts with uh the contemporary music and everything so here's a little snippet from the episode we did with them we both grew up in the the christian scene the christian world and at that time you 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 kind of get not forced into but you get into like it's a time when like alternative music's becoming big and that term was is dumb but yeah it's like you know your bush your everclear like all that kind of stuff was coming up in like the early mid 90s and there were christian versions of that so when you're coming in the christian scene you're learning you're finding out about all these other bands like starflyer 59 and like, oh shit like audio adrenaline jars of clay uh Flood. polar I remember that song by we were singing that actually before. Yeah. The, With Tom's wide open, freaking Creed boy. <laughs> oh, and Creed was a crossover band. Christians Creed was in a Christian. Band. Yeah, they're yeah. Christians in oh, a band. Okay. But my, that first my mistake. Re- my <laughs> mistake. That first record is a Christian album. The, the title is My Own Prison. He says, the best shoehorn lyric in the world. Let's Gabriel stands and confirms. Oh, I Creed yeah. My Own Prison. Oh, so bad, <laughs> so bad. But I, I had that CD. And I spun it. Oh, boy, I, shit, I spun boy. a fucking groove Unashamedly, in that CD. Huh? Oh, yeah, dude. The first Creed album. No shame. Wow. I hate it now. At yeah. the time, oh, boy, I was preaching. Well, it's like one of those things that you don't know you're supposed to hate until people tell you. Exactly. Well, thanks for tuning in for some of my favorite moments of the podcast so far, guys. Um, I'm really looking forward to having new people on, um, having old favorites back on. Um, but tell me what you guys think. I've never really like put a call to action like that in any of the episodes before, but... What do you guys like? What do you not like? Um, I've really enjoyed doing some of these bracket episodes, and uh, they seem to do pretty well. Um, they're a lot of fun to me. Um, I like putting like a head-to-head thing, and I like uh, having people on and kind of getting people's takes like that. Do you guys want to see more of that, less of that? Um, is there someone that you guys think I should interview? Um, yeah, let me know what you guys think. Um, you know, I can't do it without you guys, and I really appreciate all the love I always get. Um People are always sharing the episodes, and I really appreciate it. And, you know, it's just crazy, man. Like, it, it's cool to see um, people interact and people reaching out and telling me that they're into the show. And so it's, it's really fun. I mean, it's just a fun thing for me. Um, I want to keep doing it as long as I can. Um, as long as it's fun, I'll keep doing it. But if it ever gets to where it feels like a chore, man, I'm going to be Audi 5K, baby. Um, no, nah, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Um, I enjoy doing it a lot. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, yeah, tell me your favorite moments, and then we'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Bye.